I want to take you uh, to 1 Samuel chapter 17 this morning. In some ways, this is the anti-graduation speech. Uh, I've been known to do that every once in a while, the anti-Mother's Day sermon. Uh, I'm here to tell you, you're not unique. You're not unique. You are ordinary. And I'm here to tell you, please, one, whatever you do, please do not follow your heart. Okay? You're going to hear stuff like that. Follow your heart. You're special. I'm going to tell you, you cannot do anything. You can't. You're ordinary, don't follow your heart, and you can't do anything. (laughs) Live life. Alright? You're going to hear differently. You have heard differently. But I'm not going to say that. Because it's a bunch of lies. It's a bunch of lies. And if you follow that way, it's not going to lead you where you want to go. And so I want to take you to 1 Samuel 17. There's a lot of examples of people in the Bible who uh, are teenagers, and they're used by God. Samuel, Josiah, Daniel, most of the disciples. I don't know what you have in your mind's eye, but most of the disciples were probably teenagers, early 20s at the most, led by a guy in his 30s to 33. It was a youth group. But I want to talk about David. David. I'm going to look at early life, 1 Samuel 16 and 17. What scripture has to say. He is a teenager. We know this for one specific reason, that he was not a part of the army. In the story of David and Goliath, the army age was 20. He was not part of the army. He was too young. The king calls him a youth. All right? So, at the most, at the oldest, he's 19. At the oldest. Some of you are getting close to 19. Uh, Most of you 18, perhaps 17. That's kind of the age we're talking about David right here. We're going to talk about an event that actually happens even earlier. Because before David ever meets a Goliath... There's preparation that's happened before that. I think that's probably the more telling aspect of how this man was prepared. I don't want to go to David to teach us morality. (laughs) Because David will utterly fail at this point. David is not given to us to teach us morality. But he is given to us uh, to show us what reality is. And also to point to Jesus. In the Old Testament, when you look at it, it is... A mirror of reality. If you want to go find about morality, go to Jesus Christ. He won't fail you there. But there's some admirable things about David. And it shows us what can happen in reality. And then even more how it points to Jesus. Now, uh, I'm going to look at the entire chapter 17. So I'm not going to read that. I'm not going to have us all stand and read that. But I do ask that you have your Bibles open uh, as we as we go through this, this story together.
first, verse 1, the Philistines gathered the armies for battle. They were gathered at Sokoth, which belongs to Judah, and camped between Sokoth and Ezekah, and Ephes Damim. And no, I'm not saying that right. And Saul and the men of Israel gathered and camped in the valley of Elah. Elah is a name of trees, kind of oak-like, big trees. Uh, it's a gentle, sloping area uh, of a valley of tall grass, pretty mountains in the background. It's the border area between the Philistine country and the Israelite country. It's about 14 miles from Bethlehem, which is the home of David. And the Philistines stood on the mountain on the one side, and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side with the valley between them. And there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. Six cubits and a span equals to about nine feet four inches. Um, there has been some um, controversy as to whether it says six cubits and a span or four cubits and a span. Uh, four cubits would be six feet nine inches, which in my book is still pretty tall. Um, and uh, I, w- I would call him a, a giant. Uh, you know, some of you might get close to that. Um, it's not nearly as impressive as the nine foot, but either way, the point is, is that this is a tall dude, taller than all the Israelites, taller than Saul, the king, who was a head and shoulders taller than the rest of the Israelites. Um, and so here you have this, this giant of a man, and it goes on. He had a helmet of bronze on his head, and was armed with a coat of mail. Now the Philistines were one of the pioneers of the Bronze Age. These guys can make metal. The Israelites are donning their leather and their swords. They're not in iron for the most part. But here the Philistines, they're advanced in in knowledge and in warfare, technology of that day. They were there. And so here this giant is in his bronze helmet, in his his armor, his chain around him. And then it goes on, describes him uh, a weight of coat of 5,000 shekels. Uh, so that is for some of you girls, that's the weight of you, uh, 125 pounds. That's his armor. That's, that's what he's wearing, okay? Uh, and so he's wearing some of you. I mean, that's how he walks, okay? His spearhead uh, goes on, talks about this, this spearhead, a javelin of bronze spung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam. His spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron. So it's a 15-pound spearhead that's on the tip of this five-foot-long spear. And so this guy not only is tall, he's got the muscles that go with it. All right, He's a big dude. And so it goes on, describes that he has this shield-bearer that goes before him carrying this shield. And so there's a whole guy, he just is his entourage that goes before him, wherever he goes, bearing the shield. And so this is what's in front of us here. And he stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not of Philistines, and you are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourself, and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then he will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And so this is kind of a uh, one guy representing the whole nation, and whoever wins this is going to be the winner of the battle, and it will determine who the servants are. There's a lot at risk, at risk here. And the Philistines said... 
I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we might fight together. You hear that charge? Any one of you a man? Prove it. Come fight me. All right, now that's kind of a, that's a, that's a challenge. Uh, I think about just recently, I uh, was out of town. I was at a, a meeting and uh, with the Babs Convention, and they had my, uh, my little guy, uh, Evan. We had a, a rat that was caught in a rat's uh, mousetrap. So my wife calls me, and I'm in Ashburn, and she says, <laughs> we, I need someone to take care of this dead mouse. Because that's, you know, that's the job we agreed upon that when we got married. It, it was on me uh, to do that. I said, well, I can't. I, there's no way I can do that. I said, well, I tell you what, call, call Evan up. This is a chance for him to be a man. Take, <laughs> take care of this mouse. <laughs> so, you know, so she's bringing Evan up. And, and Evan's like, ah, I'm not going to do that. It runs away. So, you know, the, the oldest girl did that for us. All right. So, um, so I kind of think about that just as I think about this, the challenge to be a man, come and fight me. And then all the guys are kind of reacting like, Evan, uh-uh, not me. I'm not going that way. Uh, and, and so notice verse 11, Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, and they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Now, David was the son of Ephrathite of Bethlehem and Judah, named Jesse, who had eight sons in the day days of Saul, the man was already old and advanced in years. And it's kind of funny because it's introducing us to David as if we've not read him before. But in 1 Samuel uh, chapter 16, we are already in, introduced to this man named David as well as his family, Jesse, and these eight sons. Verse 13, the three oldest sons of Jesse had followed Saul to the battle and the names of his three sons who went to the battle were Eliab, the firstborn, next him, Abinadab, and the third Shammah. And David was the youngest. The three oldest followed uh, Saul. But David went back and forth from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. So he's the youngest, and uh, he's just an errand boy going back and forth. Uh, chances are, he's probably not anywhere close to 20. Because you've got Eliab, Benadab, and third, Shema. These are the ones serving in the army. There's eight sons. He's the youngest. That means there's four sons, right? Do my, do my math right? Four sons in between him and the three that are old enough to be in the army. So you just figure out, you know, if you got one child uh, per year, and that's pushing it, ladies, you know. Um, he's 16. David's 15 to 16 at this point. And so for 40 days... The Philistine came forward and took his stand morning and evening. Forty days, the Philistine giant came out and, and said, Is there a man? Give me a man that will fight. The morning and the evening. <laughs> what, can you imagine waking up to that? Uh, and, and that's what he's going through, all of this army. And so, 
which we'll keep on going. And that's the thing. In verse 17, Jesse said to David, his son, take for your brothers an ephah of this parched grain, these ten loaves, and carry them quickly to the camp to your, to your brothers. Just, just do this errand. I, w- I want you to bring some, some of this food to them. And also take these ten cheeses to the commander of their household. See if your brothers are well. Bring some token from them. So that's his mission. Go 14 miles and bring this stuff with you. Bring the cheese. Bring the bread. And make sure you bring a lock of the hair or something. Just something so I know that my sons are still alive. I saw and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines, and David rose in the morning and left the sheep with the keeper and took the provisions and went as Jesse had commanded them. He came to the encampment as the host was going out to the battle line, shouting the war cry, and Israel and the Philistines drew up for battle, army against army. See, can you imagine the scene? It's, it's kind of like a... a a pep rally of sorts. You've got one army just lined up against each other and their warfare literally is just words. Just insulting one another back and forth. And that's what they've been doing now for 40 days. Okay, let's go. Let's go if we can go scare them. And then all of a sudden here comes Goliath again. And like, oh no. And for 40 days they don't have an answer for this guy. And so David hears them. And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were much afraid. And that would include his brothers, Abinadad, Eliab, Shammah. They're all afraid. That would include Saul. That would include even Jonathan, who in 1 Samuel 14 took on an army with him and his armor bearer. Something about the size of this guy, even though he's believed God in the past, something about this just scares him. And so they, they run away. And the men of Israel said, have you seen this man who's come up? Surely he's come up to defy Israel. And the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches. Give him his daughter. Make his father's house free in Israel. That means taxes are free. You get a lot of money. Then you get the, the king's daughter. This is You become royalty. Uh, and you, you marry her. And then you're tax free. I mean, this is the reward. is is pretty impressive. But no one is willing to take it up. And David said to the man who stood by him, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him in the same way, So shall it be done to the man who kills him. I, I hear that response of David. And it just lets me know that David is thinking on a totally different plane than the rest of the men. He defines himself differently than how everyone else defines himself. He talks about being a part of the armies of the living God, where Goliath called them the servants of Saul. David sees not servants of mankind, but an army of a living God. Listen, I want to just tell you students, know who you are in Christ. Know who you are in Christ. David was greatly impressed with the glory of God. It filled his mind. We have the Psalms that he wrote that tells us about this. Goliath couldn't see the glory of God. You are in a world that they just don't get how great Christ is. They don't get the power. They don't get the reign and the end game. They don't get it. They just see you are an ignorant person. You think and believe things out of the Bible and out of the church. How could you be so dumb? And these are the type of things and refrains that we hear. These are the frames that Jesus heard, that Peter heard, John heard, Stephen heard, 
thousands of years of church history, the refrain has been the same. Nothing is new in that. But he knew he was in Christ. He says, I'm part of the army of the living God. Goliath saw my soul servants. But notice how Eliab views him. Verse 28. Now Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spoke to the man. And Eliab's anger was kindled against David and said, Why have you come down? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your presumption and the evil of your heart. For you have come down to see the battle. Eliab sees him as just a shepherd of a few sheep. Sometimes the greatest hurts are going to come not from people who are not believers. The greatest hurt are going to come from people who you think are believers, who are, are on your family. And this is what happens here with David. It's not the Goliath just speaks against him. It's his own brother that speaks against him. And then as you go, you keep our reading. Notice how Saul views David. And David said, what have I done now? What is it not by a word? And he turned away from him toward another and spoke in the same way. And the people answered him again as before. And the words that David spoke were heard and they repeated them before Saul and he sent for them. And David said to Saul, let not man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, you're not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him for you are but a youth. And he has been a man of war from his youth. The king sees him as a youth. Eliab, his oldest brother, sees him as just a shepherd of a few sheep. Goliath sees him as a servant of Saul. But he sees himself as the army of the living God. Dear graduate, you're not special. You're God's. You're God's. You're His. You've been bought with a price. He has called you a son of God. John 1.12 If you believe on Him, He has given you that right to become the son of God. In 2 Corinthians 5.17 He said you're a new creation. In 1 Corinthians 6.19 He says you're a temple of God. In Romans chapter 6, verse 11 He says we're dead to sin but alive to Him. The problem is that we start defining ourselves as people sees us and not as how God sees us. And the problem is we start thinking about who this world is, and we get much impressed with the Goliaths, and we don't think about who God is, who Jesus is. One of the things I would just counsel on you is spend time thinking about who Jesus is. I found that the greatest things of this world are not to be compared with who Jesus is. And learning how to love that which is truly lovely is what matters. And so, start answering these things of, who do I want to be? Do I want to serve just things of this world? Or do I want to serve Christ? Somewhere along the way, when my first year in college, it hit me. I had in my mind who I wanted to be. That someday I want to be this guy. And for whatever reason, it never dawned on me that I needed to start doing those things now. My first year in college, it occurred to me, if I want to be this type of man, this type, if, and for you women, if you want to be this type of woman, what does that man do? What does that woman do? Why don't I start doing it now? It occurred to me, I needed to be in the Word of God. And I started... First year, 
getting up early in the morning, or earlier than my class, varied according to class, but get in the Bible. Just start reading it. Start taking notes. Start memorizing. It happened then, when I decided who I wanted to be, what does that type of person do, why don't I do it now? Know who you are in Christ. Be consumed by who he is. But as we keep on reading, verse, David, uh, verse 34, David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep sheep for his father. When there came a lion or bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after them and struck him, delivered it out of its mouth. And if he rose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck both down lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the arms, armies of the living God. So he's looking back to his childhood, which he still is very much in, and 1 Samuel 16 talks a little bit about that. I want to just go back there for a second. 1 Samuel 16, Saul is greatly discouraged because the king Saul... He has abandoned Christ. He's abandoned God. And God has sent him on a mission to find a new king. And so he goes to Bethlehem out of God's direction. And he goes to the family of Jesse out of God's direction. And he has this encounter with the family. And he simply says to them, I want you to bring all your sons. And and Jesse brings almost all of his sons. And he goes through each order and he sees Eliab. He's like, man, that looks like a king. But God says, no, that's not the king. And he goes through all of them. Finally, he says, is this really all of them? Jesse, well, yeah, there is one more. He is the smallest. And the word used for smallest, or the youngest, is actually the word smallest. It has the idea of he's, he's the runt. He's, he's the little guy of us. He's out taking care of the sheep, which is the status of what slaves would do. Basically, Jesse ran out of all the jobs that his sons could do. And so he started giving them jobs that servants would do and slaves would do. And that's what David's doing. And, and Samus says, well, bring him on. But I want you to notice a few things in 1 Samuel 16. As we read this, notice verse 1. Now the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul, since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go, and I will send you to Jesse to Bethlehem. For I have, now notice the tense, I have selected a king for myself among his sons. God, past tense, had already selected David. Before David is anointed as a young man, God passed and selected him. What does that mean? First of all, it lets me know that God observed David when no one did. God observed David when no one did. In the pasture, God saw him. Listen, understand, students. God is observing you. When no one else is observing you. When no one has reason to pay attention to you. God paid attention to David. You say, well, what's the big deal? I'm just doing my deal. Do you know what a job of a shepherd, do you know how monotonous it would be? I mean, being sleeping out in the fields, being waken up by sheep. You take care of the sheep, do it, and you go to bed, and you do the same thing again. It's over and over. You're not having much interaction with people. You're just spending time with the sheep, and you're thinking, what's the point of my existence? In David's mind, he's the youngest. That means there's not a lot of opportunity for prominence. He's just, in his mind, thinking, I'm going to take care of sheep for the rest of my days. 
And here he is. All the while, God is observing him. When no one else is observing, God is observing. And then, in this pastor, right here because God had already selected him, he says simply, God is planning for Jesse, or planning for David, what he could not plan for himself. Do you understand? You will be surprised by what God will do in your life. This is why I say don't follow your heart. First of all, the Bible says your heart is desperately wicked. Who can understand it? It's not a good guide. Follow God. Follow His Word. It is amazing. You will be shocked and surprised at where God leads and directs in your life. But understand... It is because of God that He does these things, not because of who you are. You are, in fact, very ordinary because it's in the ordinary life of David that God does some things outstanding. Every time we think, man, I wish there's a moment like Goliath in our life when everything comes to a point and we just say this is who we're going to be and life changes. Do you understand that in your life there might be one point like that in your life? Maybe two, where there's big time decision. Most of your life is spent making little decisions that seem mundane, seem like there's nothing. That's where our life is spent. And when you die, do you know what people are going to remember? They may not even remember the fact that you had big moments in your life. They remember the little decisions, the mundane things of the ordinary life. Like David was going through. But in the ordinary things of his life, he was being faithful to what God had told him to do. Even if he's taking care of little sheep, it was in this moment where he is getting prepared for the big moments of his life. If we fail and we do not follow God in the mundane, ordinary task of our life, we're not going to follow God. And we're not worshiping Him. It is the little things like, do I get up and go to class? How do I treat this friend? Do I call this person back? What am I going to do with this block of time? Am I going to do this type of studying? Am I going to do this job? Am I going to be responsible in this thing that's been given to me? It's like in David where he says, you know, I've got this opportunity. I've got to go to the king. I've got to go to the brothers. But I'm going to take care of the sheep, the responsibilities of my life. It's in the ordinary that we see these things. God observes you when no one knows you. God plans for you what you could not expect. But as you keep on reading, verse 7, For the Lord does not see as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. For Samuel 16. In the pasture, when no one is watching you, when I have no reason to care about you, God gives outward responsibilities based on inward qualities. He's looking at the heart. He's not looking how big he is, how tall he is, how handsome he is, what kind of physique he's got, what his style of fashion might be. God's saying, I see the heart. And he's making decisions of responsibilities based on what he sees in your heart. Let me just ask you, what if you put the same amount of time in your physical appearance as you do in your spirit? Get that? What if you put the same amount of time in your physical appearance as you do in your spirit? What would you look like today? <laughs> Some of you, you know, would not be a very pretty sight. Some of us, our hair would be a mess. We'd be, 
you know, we're all uh, barely dressed, looking sloppy, because we spend much more time on the outward than we do on the inward. What does that say ultimately when it's all said and done? We care more about what people think than we do what God thinks. When it's all said and done, that's what it demonstrates. Here David is, God is watching, and he sees something going on in his heart. And God gives these outward responsibilities based on inward qualities. All this is going on before he ever gets to Goliath. Listen, if this did not happen in the pasture, it would have not happened on the battlefield. And so when he's, when he's talking to King Saul, you notice he's thinking back on how God has provided, and he was remembered in the private moments, in the quiet moments, in the pasture land, when no one was watching, he is recalling or remembering what God can do. And he tells King Saul, you know, I killed a lion. I killed a bear. And Saul's so like, anybody vouch for you? No. <laughs> I did that all by myself. No one was there. I guess you'll have to see what happens. But David knew how God has helped him in the past. I just want to encourage you. When you see God do stuff in your life, write it down. Write it down. Keep a journal of God's faithfulness in your life. You will be amazed at when those times come, when you're scared or you're challenged, you're anxious, you go back to what God has already done. And you'll be amazed how it will encourage your heart. That's what David is doing here. He's encouraging Saul's heart. And so, he goes on. Verse 38, 40. You notice Saul's reaction. Saul's got a little bit on the line in this. And Saul clothed David with his armor, put a helmet of bronze on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail. And David strapped his sword over his armor and he tried in vain to go, for he had not tested them. Then David said to Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not tested them. So David put them off. He took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the book, brook and put them in his shepherd's pouch. And the sling was in his hand and he approached the Philistine. Know that God has given you everything you need to do this. You don't need to go in someone else's manner. You don't need to go acting like Trevor, acting like me, or acting like your parents. Act like yourself, what God's called you to be. Understand that in Christ, there is enough for you to go through life, college, work, and do so living for Christ. Living in Christ. There is enough in Christ. There's enough strength. There's enough wisdom. There's enough courage. There's enough boldness. There's enough in Christ for you to endure anything what God brings your way in Christ. And so David just said, you know, I don't know how to use this armor. It's not me. And it was too big for him. Let me just go in the same way I've always gone. My my stones, which were a affordable weapon with the, with the slingshot. It's nothing to be really laughed at. It was a major, it was a, they had um, units of, of, of armies with slings. And so it was a, a real choice. Uh, but that's what he goes. But I want to just tell you, David is absolutely ordinary. In fact, maybe he's a little subpar. Why is that important? Well... He tells us. 
Notice as he, he comes to Dave, uh, to Goliath. His sling is in his hand. He approached the Philistine. The Philistine moved forward and came near to David with his shield bearer in front of him. And then when the Philistine looked and saw David, you remember he's asking, is there a man? Can you give me a man? And out comes this guy that's less than 20, maybe 16. And here he shows up with a sling and a stone. And he's thinking, oh, this is your man. Great. And so the Philistine said to David, am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his God. Now listen, this is a moment of intimidation. It is, uh, can you get the scene, if you're thinking at the least, six foot nine, he's muscular bound, at the tallest, nine foot four, thereabouts, and he has got the army behind him, he's laughing at you, he's cursing you, and he curses you by his gods. What do you think you're going to do? Listen, I'm going to tell you, there will be moments like this in your life, if you're going to follow Christ, there will be people laughing at you, cursing you, daring you to say, Please, please bring up the name of Christ. I'm just begging you so I can slam you before everyone. It is there. And adults, you know it's not just in the college scene. It's there. And so here David is, being cursed. What does he do? You remember, David's already learned to be more enraptured by the glory of God than the glory of man. If you're much impressed by the glory of man, you will fold at this point. But in the preparation, in the quiet moments when no one's caring or looking at you, when you start getting raptured by the glory of God, you'll be amazed how little the impact of man will be. Here David is. What does he say to this? And David, well, Philistine said to David, come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Remember how I said David is very ordinary and maybe subpar? What's the point? The point is it shows how great our God is. I tell you, students, be absolutely ordinary in your life, but hold on to an extraordinary God, because it's not about your glory that matters. It's about the glory of God that matters, and in that ordinary, it shows the greatness of our God. Be ordinary, but have an extraordinary God that you love and serve, and watch what He'll do. Don't follow your heart because your heart's not worth following. But God is. And you can't do anything. But God can do everything. And that's the point that David's making. And there's, I love his response. This day the Lord would deliver you into my hand and I will strike you down and cut off your head. I wonder if his voice cracked right there. <laughs> Just kind of ruined the moment a little bit. And I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves, not with the sword and spear, but for the battles of the Lord's and he will give you into your hand. He knows David's point. Everyone will know how great God is by this activity. They will know that I couldn't do it. And they'll know the name of the Lord. It is the desire of David to say, let God's name be known. Oh, student, let God's name be known wherever you go. 
God put it in my heart, even as a, uh, uh, within uh, my high school years, is to say, God, I want your name to be known even among my graduating peers. And I saw God answer that prayer in my life. Make that your prayer as you go, following the heart of David. Let God's name be known wherever you go. And let your ordinariness show the extraordinary aspect of who God is. This church is nothing but a collection of ordinary people. We're not great. We're not talented. We're not overly handsome or attractive. Some of you might be. Some of us may not be. We're not wealthy. We're not educated in a great way. We're just ordinary people. And when God does work through ordinary people, it brings glory to Him. And that's what's going on here with David. But I love the one up and okay, you're going to feed me to the birds. I'm going to cut off your head. I'm going to raise it up a cranium and you know, just deal with this. It's kind of this little, little adjusting going on back and forth that had a lot of weight to it. But I thought it was pretty remarkable that David says that because he doesn't even have a sword. How are you going to cut off a head with a sling and a stone? You know? But he's, a, he's boasting. I'm going to cut off your head. We're going to see how God provides for that. Verse, let's read verse 48. That we see this, this coming to a, to a major point. But I want you to understand, students, know that God is in control. Whose battle is it, according to David? This battle belongs to the Lord. When I'm getting challenged, and when I was getting challenged by professors about explaining what I believe, I understood and I remember this classroom belongs to the Lord. This work environment belongs to the Lord. This job belongs to the Lord. This house belongs to the Lord. This dorm belongs to the Lord. This room and my roommates ultimately will belong to the Lord. And so David keeps us in mind. Know that God is in control. Since God is in control, he doesn't need swords, spears, or great warriors. Since God is in control, the intellect is not always needed. Attractiveness, wealth is not always needed. Trusting in the Lord. Now listen, I'm not telling you be as ugly as you can and as dumb as you want to be. Develop your skills like David developed his skills in the pasture land. But understand that victory comes from the Lord and not from your skills. And then, because the battle belongs to the Lord, understand you're not ultimately needed. You're not ultimately needed. It is a pleasure. It is an honor to be used by God. But it is not a right to be used by God. God can dismiss with you as he sees fit. He can use you as he sees fit. But it belongs to God. Now, let me just finish the story because we'll be all frustrated even though we know the end. And when the Philistines rose and came and drew near to meet David, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistines. And David put his hand in his bag, took out a stone and slung it, and struck the Philistine on his forehead. And the stone sank into his forehead, and he fell on his face to the ground. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling with a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. And there was no sword in the hand of David. And David ran, stood over the Philistine, and took his sword 
and drew it out of its sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. God provided. <laughs> I don't know how I'm going to kill your, cut off your head, but bam. It's kind of gruesome, I know. But this is battle. And God provided for him. What was the point of holding the head up? When the Philistines saw their champion was dead, they fled, and the men of Israel and Judah rose with a shout and pursued the Philistines as far as Gath. And the gates of Ekron, so the wounded Philistines fell on the wave from Shearim as far as Gath and Ekron. The people of Israel came back from chasing the Philistines, and they unplundered the camp. And David took the head of the Philistines and brought it to Jerusalem, but he put his armor in his tent. What was the point of this gruesome cutting off the head? Everywhere this head went, the story was told. And the story was how great God is. Now we read this and we think, I want to be like David. I want to take on those giants and I want to face this battle. I want to win. And, and pastor, thank you for sharing these things with me. It just encourages me. But let me just tell you, you're not David. I'm not David. You know who we are? Or more likely to be a Jonathan, a Saul, an Eliab. We're kind of there and we're shaking in our boots. And, and we read this passage of the Lord searches our heart and he knows our heart doesn't look in the outward appearance and we're not encouraged by that. We're thinking, oh, well that explains a lot. God's seen my heart. I'm going through all this stuff because God sees my heart. That explains a lot. And it doesn't really give us great encouragement. We're thinking, man, I'm going to get sliced and diced by the Goliath because my heart is so wrong. You're not David. But David points to someone else. A descendant who would come from him. Of the line of David, a king of kings. Who, at the young age of 30, was declared by God the Father, This is my son in whom I'm well pleased when no one saw him, no one was aware of him. God the Father saw him and was well pleased and he was baptized and there went to the wilderness for 40 days and had the accuser, the enemy, come and challenge him day in and day out. And then from that moment, Jesus said, I am not going to bow down to the Satan. There's someone whose glory is greater. I will worship God the Father alone. And Satan went from him. And it is Jesus whose heart is pleasing before the Father. And it is Jesus who stands up on our behalf as we are before the giants in our land. And it is Jesus who says, this battle belongs to me. Let me fight. And the gospel is not that you will be a David, but the gospel is that Jesus is your David and fight for you. And will you hold on to Jesus and let him fight? The glory of Christ is greater than the glory that you'll see around you. I just want to bring out one more point of David's life. Get to the next chapter, chapter 18, verse 1. You've got this man, Jonathan. He's just kind of in the, in the background. 
He's watching all this. He's the prince, the son of Saul, the rightful heir to follow after the king. He is the one who in 1 Samuel 14 took on a whole army with just his armor bearer, but for whatever reasons now, he's fearful. He's got a daddy who will one day go against David and hate him and try to kill him. He's got all the, the opportunity in front of him. But he sees David. He watches David step forward. And he says something in his heart. I want to be like this man. I want him as my friend. Notice it says, The soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Students, be the friend you want your friends to be. Be the friend you want your friends to be. There was a similar trait between a David and a Jonathan, of a trusting in God in both times in their life. And they saw one another, saw a kindred spirit, and they both wanted to be this type of person. For you will be, you will be what your friends are. Students, you will be what your friends are. I remember my first month or two away from home, and the buddies from my high school were there. I was meeting some new buddies um, from the church I was visiting. And there was choices every weekend. I remember the first month making some very real choices. Went to a party with one of my high school friends. Saw there a big drunken mess, people getting fights, police coming in thinking, wow, this is the college life. <laughs> Yippee. And I thought, well, I really want to go down this direction, keep on going this direction. Where, the end of, where will be the end of this? And somewhere along the way, I made a choice and became in a very mundane, ordinary way. Now, I'm not going to go with you tonight. And I sought out some other friends and I wanted it to be with them because they showed me the type of person I wanted to be. Don't fool yourself. You'll become like your friends. Be the type of person you want your friends to be. And there's an attraction that takes place between a, a, Saul, a Jonathan and a David. There will be an attraction that takes place. But somewhere along the line, make choices of those friends because you'll know that you'll become like them. It's funny, I've seen some of these guys from my high school. There's a few of them through the advent of Facebook. I see their life and I'm thinking, it's 20 years since we've graduated from high school and how is it you're doing the exact same thing that you thought was cool when you were 17 and 18 and now your life is absorbed by the next party and drinking it sounded great when you're 18 but not so great when you're 37 38 and you can't hold down a job or a family what happened they kept choosing the same friends they kept choosing the same friends. And now, that's their lifestyle. 
Be the friend you want your friends to be, for you will be what your friends are. All this happened in David's life before he hit 20. What's happened in your life? What's happened in your life? Understand, God sees you and is aware of you when no one else has reason to know. And he's seeing the mundane, the ordinary, and now the mundane and the ordinary, you're making decisions about who you are and who you want to be. But all the while, know Jesus is the David. Jesus is the one who will change your life. Don't rest in your abilities, your strength, your intellect. I'm going to tell you there's potential, but there's great potential for harm. And there's great potential for good. And the difference is what you'll do with Christ in your life. Let's pray.